Homestyle Green, episode 135. This week we're talking about a life more sustainable. Who wouldn't want that? With Caroline Pitcock in Sydney. Welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live. And Caroline Pitcock and her team at Pitcock Architecture in Sydney are definitely dedicated to that course. I love their tagline on their website, A Life More Sustainable. Before we get into the interview with Caroline, uh, just a quick shout out to Proclimber who make this show possible each week and I'm very grateful for their support. And not only do they support this show, but Proclimber are really raising the bar here in New Zealand and Australia, across the world really, on better performing homes. And I think we're going to look back and wonder why we built homes that are so drafty and leaky for so long and Proclima is one company that is helping to change that. Don't forget that air tightness is not about being in a sealed box, it's about being able to close that box when you want it to be closed but also to be able to ventilate it and uh, keep the moisture under control uh, in other times. So check them out proclima.co.nz or proclima.com.au or just proclima.com depending on where you are. Now, let's get on with this week's interview. I started out by asking Caroline why she does what she does. Um, it, that's a good question. Why do I do, first of all, architecture is, is something I almost accidentally fell into. I was trying to work out what I should do with my life at the end of high school, which I think is an incredibly um, stupid thing to ask a 17 or 18-year-old person to yeah. work out. But I realised... You know, I, I was heading towards an engineering degree and then I realised that I really was also very interested in psychology and I had a long uh, interest in art that I'd never fulfilled because my engineer father had always said, do it in your own time, not at school. Right. And then suddenly I thought, you know, maybe architecture might combine all of those interests into one. So at one moment in time I put it at the top of my priority list and... I was sort of thinking later, not much longer that I, later that I would go and study engineering, which I knew I would be good at because I was good at maths and science. But because I had on this moment written it down, I was invited to an open day at the University of Sydney Architecture School and I went along and I just thought, oh my God, this looks like the most fun in the whole world. Yeah. And so I decided to do it, and I, it was, it's just been a, an incredibly interesting and wonderful journey, you know, obviously ups and downs along the way, but I've, I've found that to be the most rewarding and interesting uh, career that I could have chosen. And then as to sustainability, uh, when I started my own practice in 1992, I did a small business course and in the business course you had to write a business plan in the business plan was this question, what's your unique selling point? Why is anyone going to go to you rather than the architect down the road? And I thought, I don't know. And that's kind of really fundamental and important and I need to know. Yeah. And I thought about it and I thought about it and I read articles and I was, you know, kind of looking for everything and I can still remember walking into... Ariel Bookshop in Paddington, Sydney, and seeing this book, Green Architecture, by Robert and Brenda Vale. 
and I just picked it up and I went, oh my God, this is it. This is, this is the future that I need to follow. This is something that I, will, I know I'll find inspiring and interesting and it will be important and it will be a great source of creativity. And so I bought that book, took it home and you know, virtually read it overnight and that, that was the start of my journey. Wow. So uh, we can take our hats off to Robert and Brenda Vale, who yeah. now reside Enough. closer to uh, <laughs> closer to me than you. Yeah. And they are a very inspiring couple. I must get them on the show. Um, that's really interesting that you came to sustainability sort of after the fact, later on. It wasn't something that you had innate um, from an early age. Well, look, I suppose... Um, I had studied aspects of that while I was at uni and I had worked for people who had um, not necessarily sustainability as their main goal but a lot of the passive design principles were very much part of what they do. Yeah. Um, I suppose I had a lovely childhood growing up in that among a really beautiful natural environment. You know, I think I greatly appreciated the importance of connection to nature. And, uh, you know, so I suppose it wasn't just suddenly, bingo, I'm going to do this. I think what I suddenly realised when I read that book was how, how to really integrate that into my architectural practice and how important that would be. Yeah. And how... How good of a marketing strategy is it? You, you said you did it for a marketing uh, or a business plan and as a differentiator, it's quite a big risk. Back in 92, how, were, were lots of people thinking green? Was it a big um, attraction for uh, clients? Look, I think at that time there were, I would take on, you know, there were, not all my clients um, were I think they're all attracted by having well-oriented houses that um, you know that naturally were naturally warm in winter from the sun and kept that out in the summer. I think that's an easy sell. Yep. I think because that's really about comfort, isn't it? That's about natural comfort, and who doesn't want a naturally comfortable home? Um, I think that when you started getting and, and at the, you know, for me, it's been a journey about, well, what is sustainability? And that was sort of a basic element. And then, of course, making the building envelope much more efficient was, you know, important. I think lighting came a bit later. Efficient lighting was sort of something I learned about later. Um, you know, a whole lot of things. And, and right now, I suppose the sustainability definition that I am most inspired by is the living building challenge one which is really talks about how every act of development can be positive and regenerative, not less bad, but actually really good. So I think that as you get move further and further along and things change a bit, um, some people are very inspired by it and some people are not interested. And initially I tried to, I took on the view that I would try and bring people along on that journey. Mm -hmm. And now... I'm very lucky that most of the clients who seek me out are very interested in doing something much more interesting. So, um, and, and I'm probably not that interested in working with people who are not going, are not keen to engage in that discussion. Right. So over time, you've kind of created a name for yourself. I mean, your your brand is clearly 
about sustainability. You've got it right on the header of your web, website, A Life More Sustainable, which is a, a great tagline. Um, you've put yourself out there. You're, you're in Sanctuary magazine, and, and you've just been doing this stuff for quite a while. So I can see that people would be, if they're looking for a sustainability-oriented uh, architect, then you would be a natural choice, um, particularly in the, in the Sydney area. Yeah. I think, um, you know, right from the beginning when I worked out, I thought, well, how do I, how do I work out what this is? How do I do it? Because it, to me it was just such a natural thing. It wasn't about, oh, my God, will people like this? It was just like, this is what I've got to do. How do I do it? And I thought, how do I find out more about it when I'm running my own practice? I can't just go off and study for ages. Yeah. But I ended up, I literally a couple of days later, saw this advertisement for a lecturer at the University of Newcastle just north of Sydney, and part of it was, you know, said be involved in curriculum development. So I applied and went up there and I taught environmental control and sort of taught design to first, second and third year students and ended up running second year and really looked at how to bring sustainability into uh, the design briefs. I sort of really explored that and, and connected with a lot of sustainability academics across Australia. And, you know, I, I suppose the pay of, of working at a university gave me a bit of a um, buffer so that I, you know, could could be paid mm -hmm. while I learnt all of that. I, I've never worked so hard in my entire life because I did I ran my practice at the same time. Wow, as, yeah. It's doing that. But, um, you know, so it's not been, I've never sort of, thought about whether or not it would, was a good business, whether or not I should do it for my business. I just knew it was the right business decision for me and then just sort of set about making it work. Yeah. And perfect way to learn, uh, oh, yeah. force yourself to teach, <laughs> teach Teaching it. is the most educative experience I've ever had, yeah. I'll tell you. Well, yeah, yeah. It was fantastic. So, you know, you mentioned... Um, Living Building Challenge, and I really like that definition of, or that concept that Living Building Challenge really embraces of actually doing good versus just doing less bad. Yeah. Is that practical for residential design today? I think it is, and I think that, I think it definitely is. I think that we... The economics of some of those things are a bit tricky at the moment, but I think what you find is that once more people get into it and more products became more become more available and more readily available, those prices come down. And also people work out that if you can get a house that you will never pay for energy for in, that you'll never pay for water in, that um, will be beautifully comfortable and really well connected to nature that and I think there are banks that are working out well maybe you can sort of negotiate loans so that because you won't be paying utilities that you can pay off a slightly larger loan. Um, it's a busy time in Sydney. We're sorry, I think that's <laughs> a boat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's all yeah, happening, it's all happening out in the harbour on the harbour which is a little bit distance away but they sort of those big boats make themselves heard yeah yeah <laughs> um sorry what was i saying about uh, yes yeah, so, so i think i think that people i 
And, and I think that when you realise that maybe if you spend a bit more on your building envelope and on really high-performing windows, then you won't need to spend so much, if any, on heating or cooling yeah. equipment for your house. So it's about trying to get the balance between spending the money in the right places to deliver better results and, you know, that's an ongoing journey. And, I mean, even here in Australia, double-glazed windows have been very expensive, but they're com now as more people are demanding them, the prices are coming down. So, yeah. and that will happen. And I, I think that um, most people realise that the investment in their home in particular is something that is really important. You mentioned banks, and that's exciting that there are some coming on board. Have you got any examples of um, particular banks or, or clients that have successfully negotiated um, better options because of a green design? Uh, I, I haven't specifically got clients who've done that who or who I know who've told me they've done that, but I know that banks like Bendigo Bank and MECU Bank have are trying to set up green loans. Right. Um, but I, I must say it's not the, an area that I've got too close to, but I, I probably should, but I haven't. But I guess the message for people listening is to go and ask. Yeah. If, if, if the, even if it's just the early thin end of that wedge, then um, if people are starting to think about that within the bank, then if, if they get more and more customers asking for it, that's going to it's going to reach a tipping point at some stage. So go and let them know that, that yeah. you want it. I think it's, it's, it's probably stalled or it's not as important right now because banks generally have, you know, lending in Australia at the moment is very inexpensive yeah. relative yeah. to previously. I think if we go into an, an area of higher interest rates, then it will become much more important. Do you have, you mentioned that there were some um, products that are quite tricky or, or parts of the living building challenge. What are some examples that are maybe not cost effective right now where it's really hard to achieve the quite stringent targets of mm. the living building challenge? I, I think the two hardest ones, are, and say particularly in a city for a single residential house is um, is water getting a hundred you know a hundred percent water because say for example my own house which I've just renovated sits on a block of land that's about 120 square meters right so trying to do your own sewage system on that um, I just didn't think that that was a, a good spend of money um, or use of the land. Because yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the other question: is is that a good sustainability option? Well, I wanted a garden, you know, because living in the city, you know, we are literally at the at the tip of the CBD of the city of Sydney, and I wanted a garden. I didn't mm. want it taken up with um, water equipment, yeah. and I, I just think that there's there's it, it, that sort of treatment works at a scale that's bigger than one house. So yeah. So there's some compromise there. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't achieve the water pedal for the living building challenge on my yeah. house. Um, and also even capturing water and drinking it because we live, as I said, in the city and they're very close to the Sydney Harbour Bridge and, you know, I just don't think that even filtering it is a good idea because I think there's too much car uh, pollution in the air and so I, I, I'm not 
wouldn't be particularly happy about drinking water collected on our roofs. Very happy mm. to use it in our washing machine and toilets and garden. But um, yeah. so that that's that's one that sort of I chose not to pursue. The other one was materials and you know trying to get red list free materials can be very complex. Um, and and we're we've got really stringent heritage. Uh, conditions on our house, so we have to use lead flashing, which is not allowed. Um, right, interesting. Yeah. So, if, and so, but but I think that to me, the whole living building challenge is sets up the ideal, and the close, you know, that if you aim to work towards that, and you don't quite get to the complete picture, even getting to seventy five percent of it's fantastic, you know. And oh, it just gives you—it just gives you a terrific framework for thinking about, in, in quite unusual, you know, it, it poses some really interesting questions that you need to ask yourself about how whether because it's not just about the building; it's about living, and there's so many choices everyone makes in their daily life about how they live, and that's um, hopefully a building can help you live better, but really you've got to be. Um, the, the client, the occupier of the building has got to then choose to live well within that building. Do you, do you get into a little bit of psychology as, a, as an architect? <laughs> I think it's, architecture is one of the biggest areas of psychology of sort of trying to understand and work with clients and, and um, it, it's all psychology. <laughs> bit, of, bit of marriage counselling in there as well? A little bit of marriage counselling sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... That we've we've talked about what the hard parts, but you, you mentioned solar and, and rainwater collection. If someone's looking at doing a project, what, where are the biggest gains that they can make? What what are the sort of main areas that you recommend people to to look at if uh, if they're coming to you with a new project, whether it's a renovation or a new build? Well, the first thing is trying to get good orientation to your house, you know, or to living rooms in particular, and whether that. You know, if you've got an existing house that faces south, it can be tricky. But you can always look to try and... I think people... You can be more creative with roofs and bringing lighting over in through the roof into houses that face south. Um, and, and for new houses, trying to make sure that they're orientated well is, is really important and really easy if you think about it from the start. Mm-hmm. Another thing for just renovations is, you know, as you as we discussed earlier, houses in Australia and New Zealand are incredibly leaky. You know, they're just um, they've got gaps everywhere, and it's a really simple thing to just start by running around and sealing up most of those gaps around doors and windows and um, and in just various building junctions, and you can achieve amazing comfort just in doing that you know we had a builder who uh, we insisted on it being done at, a, at an alterations and additions and he was thinking that it was all a bit silly but he rang us up after he'd done it to tell us how fantastic you know what a difference just that thing just that sealing up had made so I, th- I think those two things are really simple and then I think just even the whole lifestyle about how you live and where you live and thinking that you might live differently and in different parts of your house in winter and summer because they might work better for those times of year. So I think 
being more engaged and creative about how you live and work with your own home is really important. Are people scared, just coming back to the air tightness issue, are people scared of air tightness? I don't think people know about air tightness. I, I know in um, New Zealand there's a whole lot of condensation issues and I think that they're probably going to arise here mm. as well. Yep. Um, so it's not, uh, particularly in roof spaces and other things, it, it's not for the faint-hearted and, it's certain, and it does actually require, if you're doing a new build, it requires um, quite different construction techniques than, than it, the standard Australian builder is used yeah. to. Um, you know, we, all of our detailing is very much uh, derived from European detailing, which has been doing very airtight buildings for ages. But even even for existing houses, there's um, there's almost little, there's very little danger of creating a big problem. With you can achieve a fair amount before you start creating a big problem. You know, people people have got front doors with an inch, you know, with a twenty millimeter gap under. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. sealing that up's not going to cause condensation in the house. Yeah, or or cause people to um, suffocate or, or feel like they're yeah. in, in a hermetically sealed box, which I think is often the concern when you say air tightness. People think it's literally air tightness, but like you say, you it's kind of a, a curve, so you get much much better before it starts to become a problem. And in most older yeah. houses. You're going to be on the on the upwards curve for a long time, and you're going to have to do some pretty amazing stuff before it becomes a problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the last point you made was about thinking how you live in a home, and I guess that that's a good point as well because it's easier nowadays to kind of force a climate or force a a building to be at a certain temperature. Um, just by putting more appliances in there or putting air conditioning on, but are you saying that it may be that you you have a space that's more useful in summer, uh, and then you don't use that space in winter time? Well, in our house, our lower ground floor is deliciously cool in in summer because mm. it's kind of below the street and it's got a lot of thermal mass and and a breeze, and so it's just fantastic to go to in summer. But on in winter. The next floor up, it gets more sun and is a little bit warmer. So without any sort of heating or cooling devices, just by occupying one lot of room, you know, one living area over another or preferencing it um, at certain times, you can achieve great comfort without um, changing anything Yeah. or turning any equipment on to achieve it. And, and it also gives you... Um, you know, an opportunity of experiencing the house in more of the house in different ways. I'll talk a, bit, a little bit about your practice uh, just before we finish up, Caroline. So you, how big is your team there? At the moment, there's me, there's two associate directors, there's two graduates and, you know, architecture graduates, and there's a bookkeeper office manager. Yep. Um, where... Um, sadly, uh, one of the associate directors is heading back to Ireland to live in at the in October, and so we're on the hunt for a new person to replace her. Right. Um, you know, hopefully, it'll be. Um, I wouldn't mind um, maybe employing another person this year. We just need to get a little bit more work, but I think it looks. There's a number of things um, 
on the horizon that might turn out, which is really exciting. And, and the other thing that we're doing, um, sort of separate to my architectural practice, but very related and connected, my uncle, who is a builder, and I are developing a prefabricated flat pack housing system. Ah, now we're talking. Called And You. And so that has been, and we're in the early stages of commercialisation with that. So we should be into production next year. But that's that's a really interesting avenue and very, very exciting. When are you starting to um, market and, and sell that or is it, is it available? Um, well, there's a, we've got a website which is andu.com.au um, where we've got some designs. We're going to be building some three prototypes towards the end of this year and we're will be then into a full marketing and sales campaign next year, I think. So, What is the main market that you're um, after there? Who, who's and you for? It's for a whole range of people. So our, our three prototypes, one's a two-bedroom house, one that will hopefully be able to produce as much energy as it uses and, and um, a substantial amount of its water. One is a classroom because it's actually a building system rather than a series of houses. It's a mm-hmm. system that can be um, made up into different things. And then the other, the third prototype is a, is a granny flat for an existing house in, in their side yard. So, uh, you know, they're three projects. Um, we've also got two clients on the books of, of Pidcock um, who've got beach houses that we've designed using the system because it's going to be, uh, it's using a protruded a, a system called protrusion, which is, uh, it's basically like a fiberglass kind of um, material, which all the boats and, uh, and uh, planes and bridges and other things are being built out of. So, but it's just, can't, it's fantastic in seawater environments and, um, and other ones. So, so two beach houses, we've got a, a, a house in Bellevue Hill where we're looking at taking off the top and building a new, uh, taking off the roof and building a new storey up there because it's lightweight and can sit easily on an existing building. And because it all comes in parts that can be person handled on site, it doesn't need a crane, it means that you can use it in a whole lot of um, sites that where use of a crane is not possible and there's yeah. lots of them around. That sounds uh, sounds awesome. And and what about affordability? Well, we're hoping, we're looking at the moment at about $2,500 a square metre. Hopefully we might be able to bring that down. We're not aiming at the cheapest end of the market because we want a quality product, but it yeah. certainly isn't at the most expensive end of the, product, of the um, market either. And I guess there are... As well as just that absolute price, there's other conveniences such as speed and, as you mentioned, being able to handle pieces easy. You don't need a crane. You can you can ideally put these things up pretty quickly. Yeah, and, and I think that, say, in, in um, areas where getting labour is really hard, mm. you know, which in Australia there's lots of places where getting labour is really difficult, that sort of thing will make it very competitive because it, because that sort of thing can add hugely to a normal build price. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and even just that it could be done by a, a handyman themselves in their own time. You know, I, th- I think there's going to be a lot of um, markets 
uh, opportunities for, for our system. There's certainly a growing interest for modular and prefabricated buildings, so I, I, and I think the, the links to that and sustainability are strong. That's going to be yep. exciting to see how that all unfolds. You're, you're a busy person. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, do, you do the whole range of residential and commercial in your practice, um, and you build and renovation as well. We mainly do residential and community work. We haven't right. done so, so much commercial work. Um, and we do, we're doing a lot of alterations and additions, but um, I think the market, you know, people were thinking more seriously about keeping parts of their houses, which for me I think is an important sustainability thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. And I really like on your, I mean, your website, website's great as well, by the way, so I definitely encourage people to go and check it out because it's very easy to navigate. But the, the thing that interests me is the range of services right through from just advice, mm. but pre-design, um, choosing a builder. These are all things that, uh, contract administration, these are all things that often people haven't necessarily thought through yeah. at the early stages, but you've got... A whole range of services um, there. Do you do project management as well of, of construction? Uh, well, we call that contract administration, which we administer the contract between a client and a builder. But we right. don't we don't necessarily project manage it because I think that's um, that has implicate that we choose builders who can project manage, right. you know, yeah. on the smaller scale stuff. Yeah. So. But you you recognise that you you uh, encourage that as a, a something that homeowners well, I, shouldn't do themselves. I, I think homeowners should, unless they've got experience in it, they should definitely go off and work and earn money to pay someone who knows how to do it properly. Yeah. Um, but you know what what we are trying to do is get a much more collaborative team in place, right? Including the builder, the the structural engineer, the hydraulic engineer. Um, all of the people who need to contribute to the house, we think it's better to get them on as early as possible because rather than sort of halfway through it after most of the decisions have been made yep. because it's really important to that their experience can be influencing at a time when those decisions haven't been finalised yeah. and that experience can be best utilised. Yep. Awesome. Hey, well, just before we um, close up, Carolyn, I really appreciate your time, uh, especially as it is a weekend when we're recording this. Um, where can people find you? are in a few places on the web. Where's the best place for people to find you? Best two websites is www.pidcock.com.au and the other one is www.andu.com.au. Great. And you've got, as well as your site about your practice you've got a blog on your website and yep. um links to some articles in, in sanctuary and various other yep and, and we do have a facebook page a pidcock facebook page and a pidcock linkedin page so right. um, you can find see stuff there as well we'll make sure we link all those up thank Fantastic. you very much for your time okay. caroline it's been a pleasure talking matthew thank you very much appreciate it cheers i hope you enjoyed that interview with caroline Pidcock there from Pidcock Architecture in Sydney. If you are thinking about doing anything in Sydney around sustainability, uh, sustainable design of your house, then definitely check out their website. Check it out anyway, but regardless of where you are, because it's a great website, great resource, and Caroline and her team have got a nice blog on there. And I love the range of services that they offer as well. 
So uh, check them out. I'll put the links up on homestylegreen.com. Uh, don't forget to get in touch with ProClimber if you are looking at doing a uh, high-performance home. They're the people you need to talk to for getting a uh, good wrap around your thermal envelope. And if you'd like some design advice and your well, it doesn't really matter where you are because we're all virtual these days, but certainly if you're in Auckland around New Zealand, then give us a yell. I'd love to have a look at your plans and uh, have got that plan review service available now uh, on the website. So you can dial that in, homestylegreen.com. Check it out. It's all there, and you can email me directly, matthew at homestylegreen.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now go make a better place to live.